I can't think of a better day of the year for us to land on Exodus chapter 5 than Reformation Sunday. The title of our study day is, I Am the Lord. And to hear us start today's song service with a mighty fortress, boy, God had this all worked out. So we are in chapter 5, and but as we, as we look back to last week, I trust that you were impacted by that study on chapters 3 and 4 in this book. Five excuses from Moses as to why he couldn't do what he knew God wanted him to do. Five excuses that sound a lot like those you and I hear and use today. But the way that God replied to each of Moses' excuses also gave us good wisdom an excellent truth to live by. So I ask, have you tackled any excuses this week? Have I tackled any excuses? Have, have we made some headway on the things that we know God wants us to do? And if not, I'd be curious to know what our excuses were. You know what I mean? But uh, it is a journey of growth for all of us. And praise God, He's here, here to help us all the way. But today we are in chapter 5 and 6 and part of sermon and yes, you will get lunch, but first we are going to feast on the Word of God this morning. Moses is finally going to follow through on God's calling. God's calling for him to go to Pharaoh of Egypt and demand that Pharaoh let the people of Israel go so that they can go worship God in the wilderness. Now remember, the people of Israel, that is the Hebrews, have been in cruel slavery to the Egyptians for generations. They have suffered at one time in the recent past the murder of all their firstborn sons. They have been in cruel times for as long as they and their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents can remember. And God has promised Moses that He will send Moses to lead the people out of this Egyptian bondage. And today, we are going to read about Moses' first interaction with Pharaoh. Now remember, this is not the Pharaoh that Moses was raised under. This is a new Pharaoh. But as we're going to see, he was every bit as wicked and awful. And surely, think about it, surely he has heard of this man named Moses. The Hebrew child who was raised right under the nose of the prior Pharaoh in his own palace. If I were this new king, I would be thinking, fool the Pharaoh once, shame on you. Fool the Pharaoh twice, shame on me, right? I will not be made a fool before my people and the surrounding nations like the man who stood in this palace before me. Keep that in mind over the next couple weeks as you see how hard-hearted and stubborn and proud this Pharaoh is going to be. So Moses is about to meet this king of Egypt for the first time. This is when things, you could say, get serious. It is one thing to say we believe God. It is another to go into enemy territory, out into the world where we know people hate God, and to go there and to prove our belief in Him. 
So let's begin reading and studying in chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And afterward, that is, after Moses returned to Egypt from the land of Midian and spoke to Aaron and all the leaders of the people of Israel and got their support, it says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And let's stop right there. It did not take us long to find our first nugget of truth. Do you see the powerful lesson in this verse? This is one of the most practical principles for sharing our faith with others, for telling others about God and the Bible. As Christians, we are called to speak up for God. He has given us a message. You know what it is. It's the life-changing message of the Bible. The message of sin and forgiveness and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the message of redemption, of hope like no other hope. And our great commission is to go and speak forth that message. Like Moses, we are the proclaimers of what God says. And verse 1 here shows us how we protect ourselves from unnecessary trouble how we avoid confusing the message. This is where we get our confidence. This is where we get our authority. This is a major part of our discipleship calling. Here's our first application, our first life lesson today. When you speak up for God, tell people what God says, not what you think. We have to remind ourselves often of this truth because it's so easy to confuse the two. We as Christians are obligated to know precisely what God has said so that we can communicate His words, His truths, His will, His ways to others. Sadly, many Christians do not know what God has said to any deep degree. We have the general idea, but it quickly gets intertwined with our speculations and personal opinions, the way we would like to see and think that things should be. The beginning of Moses' address to Pharaoh is a strong reminder for us to study the Bible so that we can, what does 2 Timothy 2.15 say? Present ourselves to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And what is it that gains God's approval? I mean, think about that concept. What is it that gains the approval of God and removes any shame in the work we do? The verse goes on to say, by accurately handling the word of truth. What a concept. That's the theme verse for the Awana ministry, and rightly so. The power and the confidence and the authority of Moses' message to Pharaoh rested in these first four words. Thus says the Lord. We can't afford to miss this truth when we speak on God's behalf. The verse continues. Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Besides, I will not let Israel go. Lesson number two, when you speak up for God, don't be surprised when people reject God. Remember, if you have spoken on His behalf, it is not you they reject. Pharaoh said it right in verse 2 here. 
Who is the Lord? Why should I obey His voice? I don't know Him. I will not do what He says. That is a stunning response. Because Moses rightly made this about God and God's message. Pharaoh instantly understood that this discussion was between him and the God of Moses. When we share the truth of the Bible with others, it's critical that we help them to properly understand that Christianity is not our moral opinion. It is not our preference of one good religion among many. This is what God says in the Bible, and they can accept or reject Him and His message. Verse 3, Then they said, that is Moses and Aaron, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, He will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. Lesson number three, when you speak up for God, don't be surprised when people accuse you of having selfish, ulterior motives. Pharaoh questioned their motive. Why do you draw the people away from their work? What do you want? You don't want to worship. You want to give the people a break. Verse 6, So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel. Who are the foremen of the sons of Israel? Remember, these are Hebrews. These are the people of Israel. Pharaoh rubbed salt into the wound of their slavery by making Hebrews be the first level boss over the slaves. These Hebrew foremen came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But Pharaoh said, you are lazy, very lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to our Lord. Now, this is getting personal. Lesson number four, 
When you speak up for God, don't be surprised when people wrongly attack your character. They'll go after who you are. You're just lazy. You're just afraid. You think you're holier than the rest of us. You're just a controlling person. You're intolerant. You're judgmental. You think you know it all, don't you? There is no end to the character attacks. I'm sure many, if not all of us, have received them at one time or another. And sadly, we've probably given them too. Let's be honest. There may very well be times that people are right when they accuse us. Let's stop making excuses, especially religious excuses. Let the Word and the Spirit of God do some deep cleaning in our character. But at the same time, recognize that often when we're on the path of doing what's right and speaking up for God, speaking His truth, people will wrongly attack our character. They'll go for who we are. Don't be surprised. Verse 18, Pharaoh continues, So go now and work. You will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quote of bricks. The foreman of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Lesson five, last in this short list. When you speak up for God, sometimes even God's people will turn against you. Not always, but sometimes. The false accusations, the attacks on character won't just come from the enemy, they'll come from within. They'll come from the people who were close to you, those who called you their friend, Interestingly here, the Hebrews kept it spiritual. The foremans kept it spiritual too. May the Lord look on you and judge you. If you've been at this point in Moses' shoes, then you know that it is no fun being in this place. This is a very lonely, hard, and hurtful place to be. Wrongly accused motives wrongly accused character, even people close to you turn on you, and they even try to look spiritual while they point the finger at you. Verse 22, then Moses returned to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the right response. Prayer should be our first response to trouble. Don't turn to self. Don't turn to the internet. Don't turn to an addiction. Don't even turn to a friend. Turn first to God. Why? Because He is God. He's the one who knows, who sees, who understands, and who cares. Why turn, turn anywhere else when He's the one who has all the wisdom and all the power? He's the one who made all things in the first place. He is I am, as we studied last week, you saw in your notes, the self-existing one. No one is like him. That's why we turn to God the Lord. 
But sometimes, listen closely, sometimes, even for God's own people, the right prayer can turn into the wrong response. Look at Moses' prayer, verse 22. And Moses said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This may be a sincere prayer from Moses, a desperate prayer, a raw, broken prayer, but it's not a right prayer. If you're taking notes, here's a short list you can jot down. Notice six things that Moses just did in this prayer, probably without even thinking about it. Number one, he questioned the mission. Why? Number two, he questioned God. Why have you? Number three, he accused God. You brought harm. Number four, he questioned the commission. Why did you ever send me? Number five, he praised himself. Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. That's Moses saying, I did what you told me to do. I did my part. What is Moses implying here? This isn't my fault, God. This isn't my mess. It's yours. Number six, he rebuked God. Not only accusing and rebuking God of being unfaithful, but of being very unfaithful. You have not delivered your people at all. God, not only have you not done much good, you haven't done any good. Before we shake our heads at Moses, we need to remember that this book, this account of history, this God-inspired record was written for who? Us. We don't have to look far or dig deep to see these kind of thoughts and responses in our own lives, and dare I say it, even in our own desperate prayers. Can you or I think of an area of our life right now where we're questioning the mission that God has put us on? Have we questioned not only the mission, but the mission giver lately? God, why did you? And you fill in the blank. Have we perhaps, without even realizing it, accused God? God, how could you fill in the blank? My heart is only one step away from making any of these prayer mistakes in my times of pain and sorrow. We need to be aware of our human tendencies even as saved sinners. We still have the flesh to deal with. We still have areas of faith that are very weak. We need to know what our doubts will sound like when they appear. We need to know the types of words that fear will say. We need to know that it's hard to see circumstance clearly when life gets flipped upside down with unexpected trials and the unknowns of tomorrow and the next day. What we need is a foundation of biblical wisdom for hard times. If you're taking notes, point number one in this wisdom list, 
Now is the time to build up your faith like we're doing right now by being in church together, studying the Word. Now is the time to learn to pray. Now is the time to set aside the sins that so easily weigh us down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now is the time to memorize Scripture. How many of you saw the film Tortured for Christ last week? Anybody? That was aired for free for two days. I watched it for the first time myself. I hardly knew what to say or think when the credits rolled at the end of that film. Speechless. And of course, we asked the question, Lord, would, would I have the faith? Would I have the trust to praise you when I see me and my family being beaten, persecuted, threatened, and imprisoned for loving you? How did Richard Vermbrand, the head of Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, how did he prepare for the persecution that he could see coming? Well, for one, he memorized 365 verses, one for each day of the year, verses of hope and confidence in God. That's what it looks like to prepare our faith now, to build up our faith now while we can. Friends, now is the time to put on the full armor of God. You know, Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Always praying, always alert, the chapter says. Read and study Ephesians chapter 6 if you haven't in a while. Friends, don't wait till the bombs of life begin to fall. Now is the time to prepare our faith while we can. In the prison, it was too late for Richard to memorize Scripture. That time may come for you and me. Back to Moses. That's quite a prayer he gave, isn't it? What kind of a response did God have every right to give Moses at that very moment? Well, hellfire and brimstone is what comes to my mind. Moses had not only doubted God, he's questioned him. And not only questioned him, he's accused him. And not only accused, he's rebuked the Almighty to his face. It's one thing to say, are you sure, God? It's another to say, you this and you that, God. And to back it all up with, and I did exactly what you told me to do. Let's be honest. Apart from the goodness and the grace of God, we'd all be praying like Moses. Last week, we observed the righteous anger of God accompanied so magnificently with His merciful patience. I want you to notice that the patience of God continues now in this text. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under a compulsion he will let them go, and under a compulsion he will drive them out of the land. Remember the sermon titled, God Knows, from just a couple weeks ago? 
Here's what catches our attention in God's response in this verse. Now you shall see. Just think about those words. Now you shall see. Over and over and over again throughout the first few chapters of Exodus, God has impressed upon Moses, I see, I take notice, I have observed, I remember, I hear, I'm aware, I have given heed, surely I see. God has said over and over, I know, I know, I know. And in one of Moses' lowest points of discouragement, unbelief, what did God say? Now you will see. To really appreciate this and learn from it, we have to also recognize what God is implying here. Moses does not see. Moses doesn't really know what's going on. Point number two, friends, when we're going through our hard times, we have to remember that no matter how hard we try, no matter how righteous we think we are, no matter how righteous we may be, we simply don't see all that God is doing. Point number two. We just can't see all that he is doing and all that he is going to do. The last chapter has not been written yet. Moses doesn't see. This is why we need God. He sees and he reveals. It's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, right? He gives us the ability to discern and understand the things of the Spirit which cannot otherwise be understood. He's the one who opens our eyes just like God is doing here for Moses. Verse 2, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Point 3, thank God for the times he patiently reminds you and me over and over and over again that he is the Lord. He's the boss. He's the master. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the king of kings. And he's not just the Lord. He's the Lord of all lords. I am the Lord is what God said at this point. Not Moses. Not the people. Not Pharaoh. God is the Lord. So do you and I have any Pharaohs in our life right now? They need to be put back in their place. They are not in control. God is. That person or that illness, that employer, that friend who turned on us, they are not controlling our circumstances. They are not dictating our destiny. God is. Even when we don't see it, God is in control. He is the Lord. Again, even when we don't see it, that doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't mean anything. Faith believes Because whether we see it or not, he is still God and he is still in control. Faith believes that God is God, the Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that God is the Lord. And Jesus Christ is his son, fully the Lord as well. And the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit dwells in me. These are the things that Christians, true Christians, believe and bank everything on. God is who He says He is. God continues in verse 3. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them 
to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. What were the first words Moses was to take back to the Hebrews? I am the Lord. God has said. Now, why were those the first words? Because that's the first thing they needed to hear. It's what they needed to hear most. That's the truth that shapes all truths. That is the truth that defines and dictates reality. That is the lens through which the Hebrews needed to hear and see everything else that God was going to say and do. And just as much for them as it is for us. Every circumstance in our life needs to begin with God is the Lord. The verse continues. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's an interesting phrase for God to use. Remember Moses' rebuke that God hadn't done anything at all? Here God responds with, I am going to go to great lengths to rescue my people. I will reach far to help them. God goes on to say, and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice the, def- the difference there. Up to this point, so far it's been, I am the Lord It just changed. I am the Lord, your God. Let me interject that there's a big difference between I know God and God is my God. I know there's a God out there and He is mine. Friend, is He your God? That is the biggest life and eternal question you can answer. Is the God of the universe, whoever it is that made all of this, whoever it is that keeps this going, whoever the God of the universe is, is He my God? If you want Him to be your God, then simply believe on Him today. Believe His Word, the Scriptures. We can chat more if you would like. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Unlike Moses' prayer, this is quite the response. Looking back to the beginning of God's statement in verse 6, did you notice how many times God said, I will. Again and again, he affirms that he surely, definitely, certainly, guaranteed, will be faithful to his word and everything he said and promised. He will not lie. He will not be unfaithful. Why? I am the Lord. That's the last word out of God's mouth here to Moses. Point four in our list of Biblical wisdom for hard times. These I will statements give us incredible insight into the sovereignty of God. 
That is the total controlling power of God. He said, I will bring, I will deliver, I will take you for my people, I will be your God, I will bring you, I will give to you, I am the Lord. This is what is so unique and awesome about the Abrahamic covenant. That covenant wasn't a deal between God and man. That was God saying the way it's going to be. That is God making a promise, determining the course of world history, choosing a people, making himself God to them, etc. They had no choice. God's will was going to be done. He was going to fulfill his promise no matter what. How can he do that? He's God. And that's all there is to it. His will is going to happen in your life and mine, whether we want it to, like it to, think it should, etc., or not. His will is going to be done because He is sovereign. He is in control. This passage is worth reflecting on when we go through hard times. God is in control. Kings do not command Him. Evil does not deceive Him. Circumstance does not surprise Him. His will will be done. Why? because He is the Lord. That's why we love and trust and follow Him and call Him our God. Verse 9, So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Again, recognize the human propensity to not listen to God and trust Him when we are suffering. Know in advance that when our trials get severe, when they press us beyond measure, when they leave us in tears, when they test every ounce of faith that we have ever claimed, point number five, know in advance, we will tend to question and doubt God. We will tend to want to give up. There are no superheroes. There is just a super God. Verse 10, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. And we're all thinking, No, Moses, don't go there. That's the wrong answer. That's the wrong question. When will Moses learn? After everything we saw in chapters 3 and 4 last week, excuse after excuse after excuse, and he's still giving them. How many miracles will it take? How many promises does God have to make? How many times does, he, does Moses literally have to hear the voice of God to believe him? And who was this book written for? What we're seeing in Moses is our human tendency. It's what happens when we take our eyes off, I am the Lord, and look at self and look at circumstance. After all this, we get to verse 12 and hear Moses say, I am unskilled in speech. This is a facepalm moment, right? You've got to be kidding us, Moses. We thought you had that taken care of. Besides, Moses already has a voice. He's got Aaron, and Aaron is a good speaker, and he's still going back to, but I am unskilled in speech. Point six, old doubts and fears may resurface. In our hard times, the doubts and fears that we thought we had taken care of may resurface. 
Think about Moses' reply and why he gave it. Moses passed God's message on to Pharaoh like he was supposed to. Excuse me, he passed it on to the Israelites here in his last couple of verses, and they chose not to believe him. So Moses goes back to God, and God says, go give the message to Pharaoh. And Moses says, wait a minute, we haven't passed test number one. How are we going to pass number two? Your own people don't believe you. Why should we believe that Pharaoh's going to believe you? Point number seven, notice that everything Moses just said makes perfect sense. It's good logic. When I read verse 12, probably half of us were sitting here nodding our head and thinking, you know, the fellow's got a good point. Pharaoh already rejected him once and things got worse. Odds are another request is only going to make it more worse. How many times we got to watch this scenario repeat itself? I hate to say it, but if I were Moses, I wouldn't go to Pharaoh. This is a good time for you and me to learn from this dialogue between Moses and God and remind ourselves that we don't call the shots in life. We're not the captain of this ship. We don't give God orders. We receive them. We don't make the plan. We follow it. Verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And that is the end of this section. This is God telling Moses and Aaron, I am ordering you to do what I told you to do. End of discussion. No more words were said. Doesn't hurt to ask ourselves these same questions. We get to this point in the story, I think, why in the world didn't Moses just do what God was telling him to do? Why, did he, why does he have to go through this whole rigmarole If our dialogues with God over the last six months, year, two years, were all written out in story form, would our story look much different than this? Why didn't Moses just do what God asked him to do? It's a good question. Verse 14. At first, I skim-read these and these somewhat tedious and, and uh, non-exciting verses. But then I got to verse 26 and realized why, at least one reason why God put them in here. So let's read these verses. Verse 14. These are the heads of the father's households. So we're going to kind of get the family tree here. The sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn. Hanuk and Pelu, Hezron and Carmi, these are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon. Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jacob and Zohar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And, and the length of Levi's life was 137 years. The sons of Gershom, Libni and Shimei, according to their families. The sons of Kohath, Amram and Izar and Hebron and Uziel. And the length of Kohath's life was 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi. By the way, if, you ever, if you're expecting and looking for baby names, the Old Testament is a dynamite source, right? These are the families of the Levites, according to their generations. Amram married his father's sister, sister Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the length of Amram's life was 137 years. The sons of Izar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, and El Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married 
Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nabad and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Aser and Elkanah and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Aaron's son Eliezer married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's households of the Levites according to their families. Verse 26, it was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their hosts. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. You get the point here in the structure of these last couple verses? God is authenticating the entire historical account of the Exodus. He's verifying the record. He knows that there will be those in the future who will say, that's impossible. There was no Exodus. Plagues like that never happened. The Red Sea parted. Give me a break. These aren't, these aren't even real people. It's a religious myth with perhaps good lessons for people today. To those critics, God provides a massive family tree including ages, marriages, children, lineages, etc. If you're a historian, these types of lists are golden. God is authenticating the story of the Exodus, this historical account of what he did. Verse 28, Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. To speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Don't you just want to cry every time you hear that keep coming up? I've been reading this for weeks and months, and I still cringe every time I hear Moses say, I'm just not a good speaker. It begs the question, how long will you and I cling to the excuses we give to God? We are so like Moses. Oh, that we will remember the first and last words out of God's mouth here. I am the Lord. Those who remember the Lord their God, fear Him, stand in awe of Him, love Him when they see His patience in the midst of His anger. They honor Him. They obey Him. They worship Him. They choose Him over the things of this life. Because as we're going to see, God knows what He is doing. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 7 as we close. Then the Lord said to Moses, See? Isn't that an interesting word? See? I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 
If you think this story over the past four weeks has been exciting so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at the plagues. Plagues like the earth had never seen and some like the earth would never see again. We're going to look at the plagues that fell from heaven upon this defiant king of Egypt and his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord. In faith and in weakness, we repeat those words. We claim them as being true. You are God, the I am, the self-existing one, the one who was never created, the one who always has been and always will be, the one who had no father or mother, the one who needs no one else. You are the Lord. That's why we choose by grace not to make excuses. You are the Lord. That is why by faith we choose not to be afraid. You are the Lord. That's why we choose to trust you in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our deepest pains. You are the Lord. And thankfully, even though you are rightly an angry God, you are also merciful. You are patient. You sent your son to die for us while we were sinning, while we were sinners. That is the kind of love that blows us away. Thank you, Lord. Help us to speak up for you and the great God that you are. Help us not to be afraid to say, thus says the Lord. Help us, Lord, to know your word that we might accurately handle its truth. We have been given the privilege of proclaiming you. We have been given the privilege of being a voice for you. Oh, God, may we be faithful, for you have been faithful to us. You do deliver in your good time because you are sovereign. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, because you are the Lord and we are not. We submit ourselves to you because you loved us, saved us, adopted us into your family. Lord, if there is even one person here who does not claim you as their God, oh, I pray, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Turn away from self-centeredness, self-reliance, Turn away from the wisdom of the world and open your scriptures and believe with all their heart. How I pray that they would do what you say to do, and that is to repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In doing so, you promise you will save. We rejoice in your salvation. You are the mighty God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.